0: Now that we talked about Pesach a little bit, I want to talk to you about the Rebbe Rashab. I'll tell you some stories about the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab's yard site is tonight. The Rebbe Rashab passed away on Bayez Nissen, Taf Reish Pei. Bayez Nissen in the year 1920. The, um, the story of the Rebbe Rashab's is the story of how the Rebbe Rashab passed away um, is a is a story unto itself. It's a it's a truly amazing story, and I'm going to begin this story a few years before he passed away. Dershowitz passed away in 1920. In 1910, they were doing remont. They were doing uh, repairs. They were doing uh, expansion in Lubavitch. It was already Tefrecha It was the new Hebrew year. It was five thousand. Uh, 671, but the English year was still 1910. And they were, they were expanding the medrash. So when it came yomtiv, they didn't have the regular accommodations. So they used, what they used to call in those days, the Klenim Zal. In Lubavish there were two shuls, a larger shul and a smaller shul. The larger shul was being repaired, so they used the smaller shul. Unbeknownst to the Hasidim who set up the Hofabrengin, they put the Rebbe Rashab's chair in the same spot where his father's tahare, the Reb Marash's tahare had taken place. The Remarash had passed away almost 30 years before. And they did his tahare in the small za'al. And they put the Rebbe Hashab's chair down in the very, very spot where his father's tahara had taken place. As soon as the Rebbe walks walked into the Fabrengin, this is Simchas, Teira, tof, reish, ay, Almost 10 years before he passes away. He sees where they put his seat. Immediately he becomes very, very emotional. And of course it's Yamtif, The Rebbe Hashab took mashke, took a lot of mashke. And the Fabrengin was out of this world. There are records from different Chassidim, from Fala Khan and from Yud al and from Perlov who were there. Rabbi Jacobs writes about it also. It was, a, it was an un, unforgettable Fabrengin. The Rebbe Hashab spoke with his whole Nesham about his father and how much he loved his father and how much he missed his father. It was unbelievably emotional. And he kept looking at the elder Chassidim and he, he asked them if they remember his father. you remember my father? I know you saw him, but you, did you know my father? Very, very emotional. He cried a lot. And uh, they were worried about his health. They were very, very worried about his health. Because he was getting very, very emotional. The Rebbe was not the healthiest man. And they were afraid that it would affect his heart adversely. So the previous Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe, said to the Rebbe Hashab, maybe we should be the the said, teireh, stop the Fabrengen. The Rebbe Shab said to him, stop the Fabrengen? the Fabrengen is going on so when they really, really, really decided that the Fabregan has to stop they used the one weapon that they knew would work the Rebbe's mother the Rebbe Sinrifke was called, summoned she would pass away three years after she was already probably 80 years old at this point point. and they told her that the Rebbe is Fabrengen, and he's reminiscing about the Remarach she's getting very, very, very emotional and uh, it would be a good idea that the Fabrengen should be stopped so she walked into the Fabreng. As soon as she walks into the Fabreng, the Rebbe gets up for his mother. Of course, when the Rebbe gets up, everybody else gets up. And she walks over to him. And the Rebbe Rashab, the greatest Kibbutz of Aim, is talking to his mother. And she says to him, Maybe we should make an interruption. She says, Why? So she says to him, if you speak Yiddish, you'll appreciate this more. Di is nit gut. good means you, you not know, you, you're not well. You're, you're, you're exerting yourself too much. You don't feel well. But di is nit gut in Yiddish could mean that you're not feeling well, and it could also mean that your life is miserable. You don't have a good lot. You didn't get a good card. So she said to her son that ever di is nit gut means you're not feeling well right now. And he responds immediately. Mir isn't it good? Mir is good. Mir is good. Halavai I don't have it good. I have it good. I have it very good. Halavai my son should have it so good. This is nine and a half years before Zestalkas. At the time, it was just an a off-the-cuff remark. It's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty, if you heard those words, you, you need to tremble. And we all know the history. Yisavir Chagat didn't have it so good like the Rebbe This happened that, that far back. In 1914, uh, um, as you all know, World War One started. World War One started. The Germans had initially great successes. Right? They entered uh, Russia. They entered France, and they were very, very successful. I want you to know something. That Rebbe HaShab had a deep, deep, deep hatred for the Germans. A Sinne. The Rebbe Hashab says, it's not possible to hate more than I hate Wilhelm, the German Kaiser who started World War One. At the Frankreich Sinus Mavis. And when you read about it, it's exactly the same hatred that the Altarebbe had for Napoleon exactly 100 years before. 101 years to be exact. Right? The war, Napoleon was... I, I am in Gimel, 1812, and now you're talking 1914. The, the, the whole story of the Rebbe Rashab and Kaiser Wilhelm is the same as the Alter Rebbe and Napoleon, with the opposite outcome. Napoleon lost, and the Alter Rebbe remained in Lajne. The Germans lost World War I, but the world changed. The Rebbe Rashab never went back to Labavich. Things changed, as I'll explain to you momentarily. The Rebbe Rashab had this deep-seated hatred of the Germans. He hated them Messines Moves. The Friedrich Eber once told the following story. That in 1906 or 1907, right, this is six or seven years before World War I, he and the Rebbe Rashab were in Würzburg in Germany. And they heard that the German Kaiser was going to speak. So the Rebbe Rashab said to him, Friedrich come, let's go. So they went to a location where there was hundreds, thousands of people gathered in a big outdoor amphitheater. And Wilhelm was coming to speak. Now what are the chances of noticing two Jews in a crowd of thousands? Now of course they were dressed Eastern European and this was Western Europe, but nevertheless, Wilhelm gets up on the stage, he looks around, he spots the Rebbe immediately. He turns to one of his advisors and he says something and they both laugh. Five minutes later, the Rebbe Rashab is approached and he asks to leave before the speech. This is a true story. The Fiyadik Rebbe tells the story himself. And when the Rebbe Rashab walks away, he turns to the Fiyadik Rebbe and he says, he has all the plans for a war, for a complete war. This is 1906. This is seven or eight years before World War One. And the Rebbe hated hated him. The Rebbe saw him mamish. You know, he, he saw Hitler in him. He saw everything evil in this German Kaiser. But there's another story which is even very more compelling. Or I don't know, more compelling than this story, I don't know, but it's also compelling. There were near one of these places in Germany, I don't know if it was Berlin or Würzburg or someplace else, there was a private park that was exclusive. It was available only to nobility and to royalty, to the upper class. And um, the Rebbe Hashab was walking with the Fidik and Ebe, And they come to the gate of this very exclusive park. And the Rebbe Hashab says to the Fidik and they're standing by the gate and they're looking inside. I really would like to enter. So the Fidikeb his father wants. That's so for money you can accomplish anything, any place in the world, pretty much. It's the only question of how much. He gives the guard a, a generous bribe. The guard is, of course, very pleased. He lets them in and he gives them a tour. In this beautiful park. And there are these villas, these like little homes that are privately owned. And he shows them who each villa belongs to. This belongs to the Secretary of State, and this belongs to the you know, the, uh, the head of the army and so forth. And this is Wilhelm's private suite. So the Nebuchadnezzar says, I really want to go in. So for money, <laughs> he gives him another bribe and he opens up the door. He lets him into Wilhelm's little villa. The Nebuchadnezzar walks in and he sits down on Wilhelm's chair. And he says, "A It's a smart... Throne. Rabbi Hashab felt the Germans are not, I mean, unfortunately, the Germans are not stupid. <laughs> it's, it's a good question what's worse, cruel or stupid? And Sometimes stupid is worse than cruel, but I mean, Germans were. They used all their chochma for Lahore. And then Rabbi Ashab took a piece of Wilhelm's stationery and he wrote a Maimach see the sitting in Wilhelm's chair using his stationery and he took it with him. And upon him, this was a, a beta, this was a, a way of, so to speak, Conquering, he sat in his chair and wrote chasidus with his pen on his stationery, and he took it with him. But in any case, so the Rebbe Rashab saw the evil of this German Kaiser years before World War One. The Rebbe Rashab said once, he says, "the the French are pleasure seekers, the Germans are upperclassmen." I don't have to translate up. Okay, this right? and a fight he hated them when World War I started it was whatever it was the summertime, and the Rebbe Hashab says I am not going to be under German occupation for one second just like the Alter Eber, right many people remained under the occupation the Alter Eber ran away from Napoleon he didn't want to be under the no- no- Napole- Napoleonic rule for a minute the Rebbe Hashab packed his bags and he left he left Lubavitch the yeshiva remained the svatom remained they continued learning in other words World War I was not World War II. The Germans were not treating Jewish people in World War I as they did in World War II. But the Rebbe Hashab said, I hate him. He is klipe. He's the embodiment of everything evil. I don't want to be under his jurisdiction for one minute. And he left. The plan was that he would return to Lubavitch when the war ended. But when he got into the wagon and they rode out of Lubavitch, he said, for 101 years, Lubavitch was the capital of Chassidus and now Lubavitch is going into Golis. He knew that it was a one-way trip. He knew. As the war wore on and ended, Lubavitch collapsed. In 1918, the last Bochum left Lubavitch. All the Rebbe Hashab's were shipped to Moscow, which at that time was on the other side of a border. And those of the Sfadim that were still trying to retrieve, the Rebbe Hashab never got his Sfadim back. And the Rebbe Hashab moved to the city of Rostov Rostov, if you look at a map, is very far south of Russia. It's very far south. And um, he opened up shop in an apartment building. Okay, Debashab got himself a very, very comfortable, large, large apartment, but it was not Lubavitch. You know, Lubavitch was a little village where you didn't have a house. You had an estate, you had a few acres. Now he's living in an apartment building. You understand if you have one apartment, he had a different apartment. Upstairs, downstairs, they had neighbors. You know, neighbors. Like you have neighbors, and I have neighbors. The Rebbe Rashab had neighbors. And that had and neighbors used to complain and call the police. And the Rebbe Rashab knew that he's not returning. He knew that he's not going back to Lubavitch. In fact, in 1918, word came to the Rebbe that there was a fire, and his house and the bismedish, everything burned to the ground. So his Rebetson said to somebody who was close to the family that we just got word that there was a fire, and everything that we own burned to the ground. We're happy about it. The Rebbe Rashad didn't want other people living in his his deere, 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 burned the Rebbe Marash did burnt to Nothing left. There's nothing left of the, the Rebbeim's homes in Lubavitch, just the ground. And the Rebbe Rashab did a lot of very interesting things. He built a mikveh, he designed a mikveh. You see, in the shtetl, in the village, he didn't have to design a mikveh because every village was built on a river. And the river is a mikveh. Sometimes you can tell you about the river itself. Sometimes you have to build a little pit near the mikveh. Sometimes you have to heat it up. But they, believe me, it wasn't so hygienic. But nevertheless, in a city, you don't have access to a river. So the Rebbe Rashab designed a mikveh from rainwater. All our mikvehs today are rainwater mikvehs, as opposed to uh, from mayones, fountains, rivers. They're much, more. The complicated. Halakhas are much, 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 more complicated. And the Rebbe Rashab designed the mikveh. He put himself into it. He studied materials, different types of cement and different types of rubber, what is kosher, what is not kosher. The Eber HaShab immersed himself in all kinds of physical things to design a kosher and mikvah. And this is the mikvah that we, the Bavishas today make. It's based on this mikvah, the Eber HaShab. And what's amazing is that in the last 10 years, they purchased that house that the Eber HaShab lived in in the 1910s and in the basement where the mikveh was. There was cement. They uncovered the cement. And not only was the mikveh there, the water was still in the mikveh. Not the boil where you title, but the water from the rainwater mikveh, it was put there before communism, and it was still there after the death of communism. It's a modern <laughs> in the water survived 80 years. The water, the water from the water which left left. the past 10 years Yes, you know. yes, yes, yes. They bought the house. And I'll tell you some more details. The water is still in the pit. It's an amazing, uh, an absolutely remarkable... Is it not natural? What natural? Is it not natural that the water should still be there? Well, the fact that the, anything of the mikveh was left 80 years ago. It's a long time, 80 years. <laughs> yeah, you're right. If you leave water in a hole and you just cover it, it's going to stay there. But the fact that they left it there, the, the phenomena is, the fact of the matter is, that mikveh was built before Soviet Union, and it was there after the death of Soviet Union. That's how I personally, it, I think it's a remarkable thing. And he lived in this house in Rostov. In the meantime, you know, the world was brewing the revolution. The revolution started in Leningrad, which is in the north. It's the top of Russia. The is living at the bottom of Russia. And the, the, the revolution is advancing. And of course, you all know the story, the Hura story. You know the Hura story, right? The Hura story is based on the Rebbe Rashab telling people to vote. The Rebbe Rashab hated the communists almost as much as he hated the Germans. And uh, there was a small window of democracy and the Eber HaShab says everybody has to go vote because it was an opportunity to uh, to establish a government which would give people real rights and freedom of religion. But of course it failed. And in the winter of 1920, the Bolsheviks came to Rostov. They entered the city, they killed a lot of people, they displaced everybody who was wealthy, the bourgeois, as they called them, the upper class. They took away their wealth, and took away their homes, took away their businesses, and and they did what they did, you know, with all the brutal brutality and cruelty. And um, it was a very difficult time. And there was martial law. In other words, the streets were run by the military, not by a, by a civilian militia, but by the police, by the army. If you didn't follow the rules, they shot you. Not complicated. Rule number one: There's a curfew. You can't be out after a certain hour of the night. Rule number two, you're not allowed to gather in large groups of people. Rule number three, you're not allowed to sell and drink alcohol. Rule number four, you're not allowed to collect money. Okay? Come purim. Fabrengan is at night, after the curfew. People are gathering. They're gonna drink Mashke and they're gonna collect money. Allah Firaveda says they had anger him. So Fabrengan begins very, very subdued, very, very, very low-key, very depressed. And uh, it goes on for a few hours. There's a Maimen, there's a Sichas. They're humming, they're whispering. They don't want to bother the neighbors. You understand, the neighbors shouldn't call the police. Um, what year is this? This is 1920, the beginning of 1920. March, March 1920. This is Purim. Suddenly, around midnight, the Rebbe HaShab turns to Friedrich and Rebbe. And he says to the Friedrich and Rebbe, Simchas teireh of mir sich av dem gericht. Simchas we didn't vision. We didn't see this. I want that now we should have Simchas Teireh. Now, a Rebbe, Rosh Hashanah, Simchas sees the whole year. The fact that the Rebbe Rashab says that he doesn't see is very, that he didn't see is very significant. He says the we didn't see this. So it didn't happen. It doesn't exist. In this house, this is not happening. He says, we're going to be Simchas Teireh. And the Feedek Rebbe says, Tate, It's Pukuch Nefesh you can't even say what they could do. And the Rebbe Hashab said, now is in And he told the to sing loud, to go out and call more people, to drink mashke and to collect money. The Rebbe Hashab put him, it was called Kupas Rabbeinu. Kupas Rabbeinu was stuck and the people gave al daita The money was given to the Rebbe Hashab. He was free to do with the money as he wished. You trusted him that he did good things with it, which was a pretty good, pretty good investment. And they made noise. The neighbors woke up called the cops. And they came in. Now if you read, if you watch the Living Torah, in one of the Living Torahs of one of these weeks, they uh, show a clip that this guy, uh, Haber says that his father was a kid at this Fabrengen. And when the Fidik Rebbe was nervous about uh, they're going to come in, so the Rebbe Rashab said, we'll see them and they won't see us. This This is what he writes. But in other sources it says different things. What happened was, they walked into the fabric and two KGB people, it wasn't called the KGB at that point, it was called uh, the NKVD the, or, or the, the they they kept changing names. What happened was they were very brutal and they would do terrible things. So when it would leak out of Russia, when the Western papers would say that the secret police of Russia is doing terrible things, so Russia would make a big announcement and they're doing reformation, they would change the name and continue doing the same practices and then when they got word they would change the name again the names kept on changing it was exactly the same thing they walked in and they stood opposite the Rebbe and the Rebbe Rashab started to curse them he said I hate them I hate and them in Yiddish and they were all Jews who spoke Yiddish they were Shiva Ba'achim they knew exactly what he was saying they're standing and looking at him and he's cursing them I'll turn over. He's letting them know that in his world they're the personification of evil. He says in my world they don't exist. They're not a Matthias. they're headed, they're just pure evil. And he's carrying on and on and Rebrashab is <laughs> bevottled them as and Battle Rivkin who wrote who wrote an account of the Fabren says their faces are turning red and white and pink and green. He's pushing mopping the floor with them. And everybody in the room is listening to this. First of all, it was obviously nobody could have anticipated then how bad they were going to be, and the Rebbe Rashab right away appreciated this is this is terrible. These are bad, bad. This is a bad, bad, bad idea, and it's a Yusholtan. He cursed them in every imaginable way. People, of course, were very afraid for the Rebbe, and every time the Friedik Rebbe would say to his father that maybe he should sort of speak, relax. There was nothing to talk about. Now I'm afraid of nothing in anybody. And as he's talking about them, he finally says, he says, they don't exist. They're not real. They're a figment of people's imagination. There's no truth to them whatsoever. And then he says, finally, I'll speak chassidus and they'll completely disappear. And he says, the last, the, the, the most famous that the Ashab. Which, which talks about the erasure of Amalek and how Amalek is a non-Matius, it's, the whole thing is a lie. Anyway, they leave. And nothing happens. They said, Ness. You, you, know, you would expect that the next morning they would come and arrest the for, for, you know, for counter-revolutionary activities, you know, for revolution against revolution. Nothing happened. This was Purim. And it was an unbelievable event. The, the Rebbe Hashab just, you know, a tzaddik gomor, a perfect tzaddik, who's sensitive to Kedusha and klipa like nobody else. And he sensed right away, this is Rasha pure evil. This was Thursday night. Sunday morning, the rabbi Hashab calls, oh wait, I forgot to tell you a very important thing. He said a lot of different things, but one of the things that he said, and I think he said it more than once, was, I cannot live with them. I cannot go have I can't be with these people. Sunday morning he called him one of his gaboyim and he sent him to another city to bring him svarim. The Rebbe Rashab had a huge library but as I explained to you earlier his library was in Moscow and he was in Ostar he had no access to his library. And he locked himself in his room for a week. We now know that he wrote his will. He was a perfectly healthy man. Masachak was 59 years old he wrote his will. It took him a week to write a will. The Rebbe Rashab's will has never been published. It's very, very long and very scholarly it's a very long will. One page of the will is published which is a few details about the previous Rebbe's uh, in Yonim, you know, about saying Chasidis and strengthening time Chetamimim and so forth. A week he's writing his will, a whole week. He finishes on Friday. Friday night he gets sick. Two o'clock in the morning, Balutu as I get up and I see Chana, one of the, Rebbe, the Rebbe's daughters walking with a glass of tea. As I ask her where you're going, he says, there's Who's writing this? Oh. He wrote a book called Ashkafta de Rebbe, where he goes through this whole story, blow by blow, in much more detail than I'm giving you. It's a whole book. Um, the rabbits in Nechamadina, the His the wife, had typhus. She was very sick, and he went to see her. He went to be sorry. And when the Rebbe got sick, people were immediately afraid that he has caught it. The typhus was very contagious, and the Rebbe Rashab, throughout his illness, kept on asking, "Do I have typhus?" He knew he was going. He planned it. Deborah Shab wrote his own ticket. Uh, but he didn't want to pass fishing Times. So Friday night he didn't feel well. Right? So Shabbos they made up to a small minion and so on. In one week, he passed away. A perfectly healthy man. Purim happened. He cursed him up and down at the and In his world they don't exist. He wrote a will, he got sick and passed away. The whole thing is 16 days from Purim till business. When Was you, huh? He didn't pass away from typhus. No, you read the story and you see Mamish, a yid who decides if he's gonna live or not live. He says, I'm checking out of here, <laughs> I'm leaving it for the vril. I, I want no part of this. And you and you think that nine and a half years earlier, he said, My life isn't good. Well, that's wonderful. How have I, my son, should have it so good. The Rebbe Rashab says, "With the Bolsheviks, he's not dealing. He left them feeding him, and like everything else, there's a precedent precedent for it in history." The middle Rebbe was told about the Cantonistin. You know what the Kantanistan? This gzeda of taking away uh, little children, little children for 25 years of slave, rape in the Russian army, and the middle Rebbe says, "Ich kenda's nicht. I can't deal with it." As soon as Zegzera happened, he got sick, he passed away, and he left it for his son-in-law, the Tzamoch Tzadik. I mean, in other words, the idea that Tzadik says, your job, <laughs> I did what I got to do now. This is your, this is exactly what happened. The Rebbe shops for the Bolsheviks. So first of all, he crushed them with his words, He cursed them and destroyed them. You're talking about a Tzadik. And then he said, okay, Rebbe, my, my entire, Ingele, it's yours. He told the Free Rebbe, he says, this is going to be a very difficult time. And you have to be ready to give your life away. The Rebbe Rashab told his own son, You have to be ready to be amazed in Nevesha Hashem to fight with the Bolsheviks. So he wrote his will. Friday he finished. Friday night he got sick. Battle Livkin describes what happened each day of the week. He kept getting sicker and sicker. They brought a doctor. And the Friedrich Rebbe goes into the Rebbe and he says to the Rebbe Rashab, Would he mind being examined by a doctor? And he says, if you want, let him examine me. Like, in other words, you're wasting your time. <laughs> doctors, 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 do me a favor. I, I'm the doctor. I, I'm in charge. You want to bring a doctor, bring a doctor. So they brought in the doctor. The doctor examined it, the but they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. But he had this very, very high fever and was getting sicker and sicker. The Fidikiraba later said that he realized that that whole winter, from the beginning of the year, his father was saying goodbye to him. And that there were hundreds of things that happened where the Rebbe was preparing him. He says, but I, I, it never dawned on me that such a thing could happen. It, it was beyond the realm of the possibility that Rebbe Rashab should pass away, he should be nostalgic. In, in any case, Motz Shabbos Vayikra, 16 days after the Fabrenyan of Purim, the Rebbe Rashab was now Mamish Goises, he was very, very, very ill. Battle Rifkin describes. Had the Friede walked out. Why was he there? Like, did he live in the, he was, lived in the house? He okay. was living in the house. He was a bacher. He was the rov in the house. He was a bambayeth. He was mamish like family. The Friede ever walks out of his father's bedroom. And his father is... Yeah. And he grabs him. And he's crying tears. He says, Our heart, are stone, how could we watch this and not just absolutely... He's watching his father pass away. A Rebbe and a Rebbe. In any case, during the course of the night, they saw the Rebbe saying, and Vidui. He was very, very weak. And at a certain point, his eyes were closed and the Freedic Rebbe shouted, No. No. That's not what happened. happened. That's how it goes. The Rebbe Hashab opens up his eyes and he says, Ich in Himmel und mir den Zaal, That means I'm going into the Himmel. I'm leaving you the Take me into the Zaal, and we'll be all together. They carried the Rebbe Rashab's bed out of his bedroom into the Bais into the shul. And all, the same yeah, 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 oh. all Anash and Tmimim were pushed together with the Rebbe Rashab's hystalgas. They were in the same room, which tells you the connection that the Rebbe felt to Khsidim and to tmimim They were like his family. Pushed. And the, the, the Hergish, that Khsidim felt towards the Rebbe. The Rebbe wanted to be with everybody. They carried his bed into the Zal and he laid there. And at a certain point, the friedik Rebbe became so hysterical, he started to scream, Tate. The Rebbe opened up his eyes. He looked at the friedik Rebbe. And he said, I mean, the tone, I don't know. The words are written down, but the trap, the music of these words, his spoilers, his spoilers, Moichin, Moichin. In other words, so much emotion, so much passion. Moichin, Moichin. Mind, mind over matter. And he smiled. Those were his last words. Um, and the Fidegeba would say later that his father lifted him up to a whole new Madreghe with that comment. And about a quarter, three in the morning, the Rebbe Hashab was in Stalic. And Lubavitch was crushed. There was a revolution. I'm sorry, there was a war. And there was a revolution. And then the rebbe was gone. It was devastating. Devastating. Meir Itkin, Meir Itkin tells a story about how his father, his father was Rev. Jannevelt. You know Meir Itkin from Eastern Parkway, yes? His father passed away when he was a little boy. And he came to his mother to his Rebbe and his wife the Rebbe is Gekumen the is when the Rebbe shot passed away he comes to his wife and says the Rebbe came so she wakes up in the morning and she tells her father this is who was raising him that my husband came to me and told me the Rebbe is Gekumen and everyone's very happy a few weeks later they got word of the stalkers and the Rebbe is Gekumen he came told his wife the Rebbe came to us He's on our side now could you imagine what, this was a dream, yeah. It was a dream, oh, okay. he had passed away already. He passed away as a young man, so he comes to his wife and says, His wife, mm-hmm. and we're all very happy. So she repeats it to her father day. So he says, hey. And it turned out that so you understand yourself that the availus is unbelievable, unbelievable. And what's weird about it is that during this whole week that he's sick. He's planning Pesach like as if Ganesh. The Rebbe Rashab knows that this is it. He, he made a decision. He's not living with the Russians. And he calls in Yanka Landau to go and prepare matzahs and to get the Shmure. You got to do what you got to do. You know, if, if I'm not going to bake the matzahs tomorrow, but now I got to prepare the flour because that's what you have to do. And he goes through every... He's living like as if he's going to live forever, knowing full well that this is it. In any case, so a Havelas at Shiva, Shabbos Avails was over already. Shabbos Pashis Tzav The Friedrich calls in Battle Rifkin, the same Battle Rifkin. And he says to him, The me My father wrote me that I should say this for uh chasidim. he says, But I can't, who am I? But I, to ignore my father's words I cannot. So I'll say this to you. And this will be considered, like I'm saying, to everybody. So they were in the cabinet. They were in the Friyadik Rebbe's office. And it was late Shabbos afternoon. It was dark. There were no lights. And the Friyadik Rebbe and this young bachar, Barol Rivkin, walked back and forth in the room. And the Friyadik Rebbe said his father's maimed, Reishat Goyimah Malik, word for word, just like it's printed. And every once in a while, he would stop and give commentary, explain it. And then he would again, quote from the maimed, word for word, the maimed, in Bel Rifkin was very excited about this because saying Chassidim is a simile of becoming a Rebbe. So he made sure that the door was open, that people should be able to pass by and poke in their heads. So one of the elder Chassidim, Gerari, was in the Chash of the Chassidim, of the Rebbe Rashab and from the Rebbe Rashad, pokes in his nose, he sees what's going on, and Bel Rifkin sort of like motions, like, come on in. So he came and he stood by the door, and feel like ever saw him, and didn't ask him to leave and this was a very very positive sign that there's going to be a ham that the filik is going to be the man the successor one week after this was what it was rebbe became a rebbe, and this was the nechom of chesidim and the filik started to write letters and in all of the letters he refers to himself as ben Meirchem Verabchem, the son of the rebbe and uh, the younger chesidim they immediately Connectives of some Friedrich Rebbe. The older Chassidim had a much harder time. In fact, there were certain Chassidim that Friedrich Rebbe says, "I'm asking you, please help me, not as a Rebbe, but as the son of your Rebbe. Please, as the son of your Rebbe, please help me." And then the Friedrich Rebbe got sick. Amish, a few months after he became bad, Friedrich Rebbe got sick, and he was very, very ill. He was very close to Hapachachaim, and he took a typhus. And it was also. You know, one calamity, one tragedy, one patch, one clap after another. And uh, during the period of this illness, the famous story with the Raghachav occurred, which I suppose you probably know. The was a great god. And although the Raghachav was really not a chassid, the Raghachav was his own man. The Chavid did what he wanted. But if he had a loyalty, it was Chabad. He used to go to the Karpos Terebe, which was a different branch of Chabad which had since folded, and he was very close to Mfidiki He was older than the Rebbe Rashab. He was older than the Mfidiki father. Nevertheless, even for the Mfidiki Rebbe, he had great respect. He used to call him the Nasi. And the Raghachava was a man who had no respect to anybody. In fact, Mavat was I mean, he, he once took a sefer from one of the greatest Akhrainim, from the greatest Lamedim, in the last 300 years. He put it in a cradle and he shook it and said, "Shashasha vanished. That's not At the of an element. <laughs> but from <laughs> Firi Kireba, Firi Kireba was 22 years younger than him. And the Shah wrote a letter and he says in this letter that I'm paskining with my Keach that the Firi Kireba has to have a And he did. And then from that point forward, the Firi Kireba used to refer to the Raghadoshah as Sara the owner, the possessor of the Tehra. And there's another story, I'll share another story, which is a guy that brought down the name of someone by the last name, Haned. That in nineteen twenty-one the Rogichevar came to Rastov and he went into the Fedikin Reb. The Rogatchavar was a legend in his lifetime, in the, the velta He walked into the chotzer, the courtyard in front of the Fidikib's apartment, and all the Bacham came over to him and gave him shalom. And they asked him of Why did they go and come? I came to give the Rebbe Smich. Now, if somebody else would say it, you'd slap him in the face. But the Ragachava could say it. So they went and they told the Rebbe that the Ragachava is here. So the Fidikeba came running out of his room, his Makabo Ponov. They went into a room, they spent four hours alone. Nobody knows what they discussed. But when he walked out, he said, yidn Jews need a nosi. The word nosi, you know, nosi, nasi de renu, the, the one who phrased a Reb as a nosi. Where does the term Nasi come from? The Rebbe used to use it all the time. The first one to use the word Nasi about the Rebbeim was the Ragajah. And he didn't mean it like we do, as Hasidish. He meant it. He was a Goan, a Lamdan. And in his mind, a Rebbe is a Nasi. It's not just a Rav or a Rosh Hashiv. He's a Nasi. Yidin defam a Nasi. The Jews need to be Nasi. Right? Ubefrata a Zeraz Especially that he's worthy. Chos neikoy dem The Son of Allah precedes everybody else. A son comes before everybody else. And the was the But it was curious. That's what he said. This were his words. A son in law preceded everybody else. A son preceded everybody else. And remained a great mystery. Until the Rebbe. when the Feeding Gebers was nostalgic. And the Rebbe, by the way, was not married to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe was Chosne. People wrote that maybe the whether he meant it, or he had Raghetshover, words came from his, from the Eberster, the Chosne, Kedem Kolodom, was an allusion to Mfirik, and Abzaydim, this is the Rebbe, this is the Malumakam, and the Fidikeba became the Rebbe, and the rest is history, Fidikeba started to build labavich, and the Bolsheviks started to destroy Yiddishkeit, and the Fidikeba realized, that if he's not going to do, nothing's going to happen, and uh, and uh, what his father said, that he zaygut. Was fulfilled and materialized uh, uh, unbelievably. I just want to tell you another little detail. During the period of the fever, the illness, he had very, very high fever. And he was delirious. What delirious means, he was speaking, mumbling incoherently. So they ran and they called Yankalanda. Landau. Harav Yanka Landau, the of Nebirak. Yanka, Landa, Rav, Yanka was a great god And he also, like Ber Rifkin, like Harav Ber Rifkin, were very close. They were They lived in the house. And Yanka Landa was called to look at the Frier Rebbe, to see how ill he was, and they heard him mumbling and muttering words that seemed incoherent. So he said, "Doseret hits." This is—he's speaking from the fever. He's so 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 much fever that he's not being rational. When the Frier Rebbe became better, he called him in, and he said, "Hayitochem." He asked him, how could it be that a chosid of my father should be able to speak this way about my father's son? <laughs> in other words, he didn't tell him. In other words, the ever heard him. In his delirium, in his hits, he heard what he said. How could you suspect me? Not because of who I am, but because of who my father is that I should be suspect, subject to uh, this kind of delirium. And while I'm telling you stories, I'll tell you another story. Yankel was very attached to the Rebbe Rashab. He actually tried. He wrote a letter to the Rebbe Rashab and he went to the O'Hill in Ustad. He was 22, 23 years old. He says to the Rebbe, I am asking a that I should die and that I should be buried within 50 amas of the Rebbe Rashab. A few days later, the Fidekah is by the O'Hill and the Fidekah calls him and says, Yankel. Der Tater hat gesagt, aufhören schreibt Nahrischkeiten. <lacht> yeah, mein Vater hat einen Nahrischkeiten. Okay, nu, wie man sagt der Welt, zu kurzem allein. Okay, nun man ein Chagkosche,